Praise God. Wow. Wasn't the Lord's presence rich today? Just really rich today. I felt like really appreciated that prophetic word with Kathy. I think the Lord was speaking to us to begin to open to open our eyes to see that He's working all things together for good. Amen? Called according to His purpose. You know, today is Valentine's Day and and uh, I know this is where we we think of those people that are special in our lives. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's so important that when we think of those people that are special in our lives, that we, we let them know that they're special. Amen? How many of you know it's important to communicate our love and appreciation to people? And it's important to let... And it's even important to let the Lord know. You know, today, when we come together, we gather together as a, as a local church. What it is, it's, it's about the bridegroom meeting with his bride. And there is, there's, the Lord loves to meet with his people. And uh, the Lord loves there to be anticipation. Can you imagine meeting with someone who you expect to love you, but they just kind of give you a wilted flower. Or maybe they just kind of meet you with kind of a sad face and no smile, no shout, no joy in their life. You'd, you'd look at them and you'd say, is there something wrong? Is there something wrong with our relationship? And, uh, you know, one of the things that the Lord does is, how many of you believe our Heavenly Father has given us His very best when He gave His Son? The reason why he did that is because he says the things that he does is so that our joy might be full. The Lord's plan and purpose for our life is to, for us to experience an abundant life. And for that abundant life to be such a mark on our life that we in turn become salt and light around our world and in our society. I, I really believe that Jesus intended for your life to shine. Your life shines. In fact, right now you're emanating. Every one of us is shining. Every one of us is, uh, there are light beams. There is there's something from us that is coming out from us. And it's and it, what it is, it's all based upon the, the relationship you have with the Lord. <clears throat> it's based upon God's goodness. And He has been so faithful to us. In fact, one of the reasons why God does abundantly above all that we could ask or think is so that you and I are blessed people. How many of you out there are blessed? I mean, God, God blesses you. And uh, the Bible even says that the, the, the path of the just goes from glory to glory or shines more and more into that perfect day. God's intent is for your life to continue to overflow. His, his intent is for you to overflow. Now, I know that in our culture today, we're a very circumstances-regulated society. We, our joy it usually goes by how circumstances go. If things are going well, if I win the lottery, if I get my promotion, uh, if, if things go well that way, then, then I'm a happy camper. Well, God, God never intended for circumstances to dictate your joy. He intended that, that your faith and your relationship and the knowledge of who you are in Christ is what sustains and keeps you going steady, strong and steady and stable. Amen? God's plan for your life is for you not 
to be just some kind of a leaf thrown into the wind and just up and down and all around. God intends for your life to be steady, to be strong, and to be stable. In fact, that really gives testimony and glory to God that even when believers go through seasons uh, where maybe our finances are not going well, maybe even in our marriage it may not be strong, maybe there might even be occasions where we might even go through seasons of setback. God intends for His love and His glory to manifest Himself even in those seasons. And here's the reason why. God allows us to walk through seasons to give you a testimony. Everyone say testimony. You know, there, there is no testimony when you don't go through seasons in your life. We go through seasons, and it's out of those seasons God begins to show up and he begins to speak to you this morning as we were in worship the lord impressed on me again that that i'm talking to my people every day i'm speaking to them every day and every time he speaks he comes with words of comfort he comes with words of vision he comes with words of instruction and even if our heavenly father comes to us with words of adjustments it is always given with hope god never ever chastises us that he never gives us hope at the tail end of that to let us know that he is for us and not against us it is never a word of condemnation it is never a word of hopelessness we have a father in heaven who always encourages his people the bible calls him the good shepherd who leads his people beside still waters. He leads you in paths to dwell in. He causes you to lie down. The Bible even says that even in the presence of your enemies, he prepares a table. In other words, God wants you to feast when things are going bad. In other words, God has something to give to you. Amen? Amen. I I want you to really believe that. We're, We're focusing on several weeks on the subject of purpose. Because God has a purpose for your life. God has something that is so powerful. We can put that overhead up this morning. But I want you to jump with me in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. And uh, we're going to go back in the Old Testament. The past, last week, I focused on these. Actually, I only got to three of the points last Sunday. But if we could just look in the scripture here, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek those things which are where? Above. Everyone say above. Above where Christ is sitting. In other words, he's saying, I don't want your affections, your focus, on things below. Why would he say that? Because how many of you have come to discover that things below are really shaky? Things below are very unstable. He said, I want you to seek those things which are above and things that are not below. And here's the reason why. Because there's nothing you can depend on that is in this world. 
You can't depend on your job. You can't depend on life. You can't depend on, on a whole lot of things. Things are unstable, up and down. And so the Apostle Paul, even Jesus came, and he said that we're to seek first the kingdom of God. Because when you begin to seek first the kingdom and you begin to focus on the king, guess what? You start thinking like the king. You'll start reigning like the king. And when you begin to seek those things which are from above, guess what? You have a view from above. I don't know if anybody here has ever rode in a jet plane, but when you're in a jet plane at 35,000 feet, everything looks pretty small down below, doesn't it? Well, God wants to give you a perception, a perspective, that when you are seated with him in heavenly places, you are reigning over your problems. He wants you to know that you are above, you are not beneath, you're the head, you're not the tail. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are ruling and reigning and you're an overcomer this morning. See, my purpose, your purpose, he says to seek those things which are above, not only because God has given you the power to rule and to reign, but he has brought you into a partnership with your heavenly father. And the Bible says that Jesus prayed in John 17. He said, Father, that the glory you give me, I now ask that you would give to them. In other words, God has made your life glorious. And even in difficult situations, even in stressful situations, God intends that all things work together for good. He is not playing games with you. He is not tricking you. He does not set you up for failure. That is not the Father we serve. In fact, my Bible says in Matthew 7, when Jesus one day was quite being questioned about the Father, Jesus said that your Father in heaven, if you would ask for bread, he will not give you a rock. And if you ask for fish, he will not give you a snake. The reason why Jesus says it that way was because there were days, there were times in Jesus' day where there were fathers and there were mothers that were evil parents. And there were parents that manipulated their children. And there came a point where some children did not trust in their parents. And so Jesus comes and he qualifies the father and he says, listen, you might have had earthly fathers and you might have those that you've trusted in that you looked up to and they failed you and they let you down. But your heavenly father, when you ask for something that you need, he will not manipulate, he will not trick you, and he will not take advantage of you. And so he says, when you ask for fish, he will give you fish. When you ask for life, he will give you life. He will not manipulate. He will not distort. He will not trick you and take advantage of you. So Jesus, even in his day, like it is today, there's a lot of people today that do not trust. There's a big issue with no trust today in, in all levels of life. But Jesus was dealing with the problem with people that lived with broken hearts. They lived with disenchanted views and They'd lived also in a very religious society even when Jesus came in his day. Many people had been around religious leaders who were more interested in how they looked and how they appeared and their seats 
of high places and their garments and the way they appeared before men and their religious prayers and how righteous and self-righteous they were than they were in the interests and the concerns of the people that they were, they were meant to serve. And so when Jesus came in his day, he knew that there was a huge gap between the pew and those that were ministering the gospel because many of the shepherds in that day were selfish. They were power-hungry, money-hungry, and they were, they were manipulators. And so when Jesus comes, Jesus comes, and one of the things that Jesus does is Jesus begins to mix, and he begins to just mix among people, and he begins to touch. He mixes among the crowd, and he begins to eat. He whines. He dines with them. Luke 15, a powerful text. One day the Pharisees come to the disciples and says, Why? Why does your master eat with publicans and sinners? And it irritated them because Jesus literally, simply by his relationship and his ability to connect with people, was turning the masses, literally, from the synagogues to Jesus. Literally, thousands of people were gathering to Jesus because Jesus was doing something that the Pharisees could not do. Jesus was connecting with people. Jesus was connecting with people and showing them two things. Number one, what the Father is really like. And number two, he was showing by display how valuable and how treasured they are in the sight of their Heavenly Father. And so even to the point where lepers and women with issues of blood and people that were in, in gross sin, even caught in the act of adultery. Jesus would extend grace and he would extend mercy. He would extend friendship. He would touch lepers. He would embrace them, who, according to religious customs, if you did that, you were considered unclean. But Jesus, being the Son of God, the living God, the, of the triune God, comes, who is clean, and under the old covenant, if a priest who was considered religiously clean would be touched by someone who was defiled or unclean it would make the priest clean but here jesus comes as the king of kings and he goes out and you know what he does he touches unclean people everywhere he embraces them he loves them he touches them he kisses them and everyone he touches they become clean how many of you know that our cleansing and our healing flows from heaven down. It does not flow from earth to heaven, but from heaven to earth. And what Jesus was, was he was the extension of the kingdom of heaven coming down, and what he was doing, he was extending that grace to men who were so broken in their society. And that's what Jesus is doing today. Five things last week we talked about, I want to just, for, for recapping, we were born for a purpose. Everyone say purpose. So important. By the way, Judy, could you put that on the back for me, if you could, back here? It's not coming up there, back there for me. Uh, first of all, how many of you know that we were created for relationship? God created you for relationship. You were born to be a home for the presence of the Lord. In fact, you are more spiritual than you are physical. You are more spiritual. You were created literally, to house the very presence of the triune God. 
You were created to communicate to your Heavenly Father. More than your parents, more than your spouse. You were created to have a wonderful relationship with the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus sent us the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Holy Spirit is really the capstone in your life that brings you into that place, not only of harmony and relationship, but it brings you into that place of amazing glory with your Heavenly Father. Your relationship to your Heavenly Father is so important. And the devil wants to keep you alienated and blind. He wants to remind you of all the things you've done wrong. He wants to remind you of everything that you cannot do. But Jesus come through his precious blood to restore relationship. So we're, we are people of relationship. You are people, first and foremost, that is to be able to communicate through your spirit to his spirit. Amen. Spirit to spirit, relationally. Secondly, you were created for connection. Everyone say connection. The Bible says that God sets the solitary in family. You were never created to be a loner or isolated. If you think you are, you're missing what God intended for you to be. You were created for relationship because it's in relationship that you begin to grow and develop. You cannot develop by yourself. You need family. God sets the solitary in family. And it's through family that you get come into fulfillment. Thirdly, you were created for service. God intended for you to find fulfillment not through living for yourself, but by laying your life down. And as you begin to give, and as you begin to serve, and as you begin to open your heart, you begin to find fulfillment. There's a powerful passage in Proverbs 24. It says, there is he who scatters <coughs> or gives and comes to increase, but there is he who withholds, who does not scatter or is selfish, and the Bible says he comes to a place, um, the word there, there is he who withholds and he comes to poverty. When you live for yourself and you don't understand the purpose of serving, part of our purpose for living is to serve. <clears throat> when you get your eyes off yourself and you begin to serve, it's amazing how you begin to experience fulfillment. The fourth thing is this. God intended for you to experience glory. Everyone say glory. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3, it says, For where the Spirit of this, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty and there is glory. We are changed from glory to glory. That glory, by the way, is a multifaceted word. It involves increase. It means abundance. It also involves a prosperity. It also involves victory. God intends for you to live victorious in every area of your life. He intends for you to experience a, more, a, a, a forward momentum in your life. He never intended for us to be stuck in a specific place. Some of us have been stuck maybe in certain areas of our life and we somehow can't get beyond certain areas we just kind of plateau. God intended for your life to continually be moving forward, growing, enlarging, increasing in relationship, in the areas of your understanding, in the area of your knowledge. He never intended for you to get stuck in one space. When we get stuck, what happens is you start dying. 
I never want to get stuck. I need to continue to grow, amen? And how do I grow? Well, it's kind of like a plant. If you're not being watered in His presence, if you're not being encouraged and empowered by other brothers and sisters, you'll die. It's just the Bible says that. It's very clear. So I need to be empowered. I, I need to put myself, I need to ask myself, am I growing? Am I being watered? Is the, is the Word of God feeding and, and nurturing and ministering to my life? And, and if, if I'm not, all you have to do is just simply make a decision. Because God intends for your life to shine. He intends for your life to be glorious. He intends for your life to prosper in such a way where the Bible actually says this, that the world will see your light and will come to the brightness of your shining. This is in Isaiah 60. God says, arise and shine for your light has come. God intends for you to shine. Now, shining isn't just when I'm prospering in the sense financially and doing well and things are going my way. God wants you to shine even when things are going wrong. Now, you may say, well, Pastor, how does that happen? How does things happen? Let me tell you something. The light gets brightest when it gets the darkest. God intended for your light to shine when it's in the darkest time. Now, I know it's easy to always say, oh, it's a, you know, I, I hear sometimes people say this, and, and, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm not trying to criticize this, but I've heard people say, you know, Pastor, I just, I just pray that God will give me a job where there's Christians all around me, a Christian boss and Christian people where we're just singing Christian songs all day long and just singing for the glory of God. You know what I tell them? I'm saying I'm praying that God will put you in the belly of hell. What? Why would you pray for such a thing like that? Because you have such glory upon you. You are blessed and highly favored. You have the knowledge of God, the wisdom of God, the message of a kingdom. You have a message of prosperity. I want to pray that God put you in the belly of hell so because God came to save the very worst of society. Why did Jesus, why was Jesus born in a stable? Why was he born among animal dung in a barn? Was it just because he couldn't find a place in a room? For it? No. The Father had it all planned out. The Father knew that Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, there was no announcement. Mary was, had no notoriety in her personality or with her name. But the, but the Father so chose a woman, a no-name, someone that was not even known. But yet here was a woman with no name, no reputation, no notoriety, nothing. And yet the Father chooses this young little girl by the name of Mary in Galilee, or in, in the area of Judea there, and gives her a vision for her life and tells her that you're highly favored of God and you're going to carry in your, in your womb the Son of God, and His name will be great, and He, he will uh, be Emmanuel, and He brings salvation to His people. And this woman was completely overwhelmed by such a word in her life. She, she wasn't expecting that. But yet God had a purpose. Everyone say purpose. I, I'm here to tell you this morning, folks, 
And I pray that you can hear beyond Ray Galligan's words and beyond Ray here. I stand before you as a weak man, not in any strength or any anointing in my own strength in any way, shape, or form, but I believe by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord is saying that God has chosen every single one of you to shine in a dark place. And God has not only caused and He's given you a word, but He's anointed you in such a way that when you begin to, by faith, begin to capture and wrap your mind around the promises that God begins to reveal to you, and you begin to allow that word like when Mary was impregnated and overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, she began to say words like this, let it be unto me according to his word. There were no angels singing, by the way. There were no choirs singing. She was a woman who only by herself had an encounter with God that would change the destiny of her life forever. And you and I both know that when Mary went out from that place, from that angelic encounter, that young lady began to encounter probably a lot of confusion, rejection, and contradiction from family, from friends, from even her own fiancé, Joseph. Because there, th these things begin to happen. Now, a lot of us today will pray, praise God. Wow, I'm so glad I'm not Mary. Wow, I, I, I just couldn't handle that. I don't want anybody interrupting my marriage plans. After all, I want to get married, have family, and just be normal. That's the way a lot of people think. And I, I, I have to admit that even when I really studied through this, waited on the Lord on this, on this thing, sometimes it, it can be a little overbearing. But how many of you know God never calls you to something that He doesn't give you the grace to go through it? He never calls you to anything. But when it comes to purpose, one of the things that God will do is He will begin to enlarge your wineskin. He will begin to open your eyes. He will begin to open your eyes to the possibility. The one thing that I need to recognize when it comes to the glory of God, because sometimes when it comes to God's glory in my life, sometimes when it comes to God's glory, there are seasons where I may need to walk alone. There may be seasons where I may be questioned. There will be times and there's going to be seasons when the Word of the Lord will be tested in your life. There will be seasons in your life <clears throat> where you'll even begin to question what's going on. But here's the important thing. God will never allow you to walk through that alone. He will always be with you. He said, my peace will go with you. I will go with you. I will go before you. My glory will come behind you. And I will give you peace, perfect peace, even in situations. And the last thing when it comes to purpose, God has given us a mission. Everyone say a mission. All of you have been given a gift. All of you have been given seeds in your life. And that gift is to prepare you for a mission. I'm not suggesting that the mission necessarily is the mission field. But there's a mission. Your mission in life may be to your neighbors behind you, in your backyard, it might be to your family. It might be to those in, the, in a particular local church as well as in your community. But God has called us to a mission. And God wants you to know what your mission is in your mission field. 
He wants you to know what your gifts are. How many of you have come to find out what your gifts are? How many here have come to realize, I know what my gifts are? How many do not know what your gifts are? I know it's okay if you don't. Okay, praise God. I want to say God wants you to know what your gifts are. And it's okay not to know that uh, right now, but he wants you to know how to discover your gifts. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on. Amen? I, I want you to take uh, your Bibles this morning. I want you to go back to Genesis for a few minutes. Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28, when it comes <clears throat> to uh, the fact, this is about the life of Jacob. Genesis chapter 28. Now Jacob, <clears throat> by the way, Jacob was a young man in this season of time in his life, <clears throat> and he is the third patriarch from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. By the way, Genesis is broken up like this. You start with creation, then Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and from there we move on to the family after creation, after the fall of Adam. And then, of course, they were thrust out of the Garden of Eden. And then we come to the seasons of the generations before Noah. We have Noah, then the flood, then after that the Tower of Babel, which falls because all the nations had united together, became one language, and the Bible said they, they would build a tower that would reach into the heavens. And the Bible says that God began to cause there to be confusion among the nations so that the, the nations became scattered and... and uh, uh, stop the Tower of Babel, and then after that, we have the four main patriarchs throughout the rest of the book of Genesis. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then Joseph, who goes into Egypt, and through his the revelation and through his promotion, he literally brings the nation uh, uh, salvation from a, a, a horrible famine, and then, of course, restores his brothers and and, and family, and they all go up and they end up living in Egypt, and that's where Genesis 50 ends up. That's a basic over, uh, overlook on the whole uh, passage there in Genesis. But when you get into the life of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what is so unique about this and in, in, in regards to purpose, and I want to just say this to all of us, because uh, I think this really just rings some hope is that I'm so glad God used Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because I want to tell you, these people are probably one of the most dysfunctional families in the entire Bible. You have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And all four of, all three of these families, they are busted up in their relationship. You have Abraham, who God calls out of Earl Chaldees. Now, according to Romans 4, Abra Paul refers to him as the father of faith, and he is. Aren't you grateful that God doesn't look at all the bad stuff, but he records the things of, of breakthrough and blessing, and that's what happens in Romans in the book of Hebrews. But Genesis really records the actual facts, the bumps and the failures and everything that goes on that is not recorded in the New, New Testament. And there's a reason for that. And it's because God doesn't keep records of all your bad garbage. God keeps record of how his grace was made perfect in times of your weakness. And that's what's important. But we find back in the books, and I'm so grateful the Lord actually allowed those things to be written, because what happens is that when I am going through some seasons in my life where I need change, what it demonstrates is God's grace never, never, never gives up on His people. Never gives up on them. 
In spite of Abraham's fear, his failure, we have the fact that he's afraid. He questions God's faithfulness in Genesis 15. He turns to Ebenezer and he says, Oh God, that Ebenezer's son, my servant, may be the son, the, the true son that I can have. And God says, No, Abraham, Abram, he is not going to be the son of promise. I am going to fulfill my promise in your body and through your wife who is barren. Now sometimes that can be tough when all of a sudden you're 75 years of age and you're heading towards 100, your life is getting older and you look at your wife and she looks at you and you're both getting full of wrinkles and God says, no, I'm going to fulfill my promise to you and your wife and everything is going completely contradictory to, to what God's promise is. Yet God says, I'm going to fulfill my promise to you and to your wife. So 24, 25 years goes by. They finally have a son, but even before that, they go out, they get discouraged. And for 13 years, there is no prophetic word. And so Sarah comes one day and he says to Abram, Abram, let's have a baby. My mistress, right here, Hagar, let's go in. You need to come into a covenant with her. He marries her, comes into a covenant with Hagar. She bears a child. He has a son. His name is Ishmael. Ishmael creates lots of problems. How many have ever had an Ishmael in your life? Where you diverted from the promise, diverted from the way, things kind of go south, all of a sudden there's a lots of problems, and there's everything goes haywire, relationships are breaking down, and for 13 years you would think, wow, I guess God changed his mind. How many of you have ever been in a place where you thought God changed his mind? after you backslid. Well, what's so powerful is that God comes back and reminds them after 13 years, and it says that God says, Abram, I want you to remember that I am the God of your, I am, the, I am your God, and you are my son, and you're to walk before me and be perfect, and I will bless thee, and all the nations around you will be blessed, and I will make your name great. And then he says this, from here on out, Abram, I'm going to change your name for from now on, your name is no longer Abram, but Abraham. And so God tells Abram, I want you to change your name. Everyone say your name. Now, this is important. God wasn't just into changing his name because he didn't like Abram. God was interested in getting his mouth and the words of his mouth lined up with God's promise and God's will for his life. And so he changes his name, and he changes the name of his wife. Listen to me. Here's a, here's a news flash. If you want to see God's fulfillment, God's promise fulfilled in your life, how many of you know we need to watch what comes out of our mouth? We need to start speaking faith instead of doubt. So God begins to work on him. God begins to speak to him. But here's what he does. He encourages it. He reinforces the fact, Abraham, I am still your God. And you're still my man. And I'm not going to take anything away that I promised you. And God still fulfilled his promise. Aren't you grateful for a God like that? And then God begins. Abraham goes off the scene. Isaac is born. Isaac his, has his wife. His wife, her name is Rebecca. And Rebecca and Isaac come together. Well, this marriage is not the best marriage either. In fact, it's really a problem 
and an accident really waiting to happen. They have some serious marital problems. They have two sons, Jacob and Esau. These two sons are backsliders. Both of them are. Esau ends up becoming a very, very immoral young man. Jacob becomes a deceiver and a liar. In that home, you have a marriage. You have a home where you have the wife begins to conspire behind her husband's back when her husband's going blind. Conspires and he takes Jacob aside and says, Hey, son, I don't want Esau to have the birthright. So he conspires and he tricks, she tricks. Rebecca tricks her husband while he's going blind to get Jacob and he, she makes him a meal. And, and, and puts, if you can imagine this, animal skins on her uh, son Jacob's arms because Esau was a hairy man because they were, or they were concerned that Isaac would figure the, the scheme out. And so what you got is you got a mother teaching her son how to lie, how to deceive, and how to manipulate things behind their father's back. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I have a problem with that. I would wonder, why in the world, God, would you choose people like that? Why would you choose a woman like that who sets her son up, uh, uh, Jacob, for 21 years of hardship because of poor leadership in the home? Now, I don't know about you, but just in my own, I guess, if you want to call it religious background and training, I guess in my mind, I would say that woman is not qualified for leadership. Or the man. But you have a serious dysfunctional breakdown in the home. You have a husband and a wife that are really angry and upset with what's going on with their two sons. And so you got a mother here that conspires behind her husband's back because he's going blind. And he, she not only deceives her husband and manipulates him, but she manipulates this young boy, Jacob, to get him to get the birthright. It's called manipulation. It's called conspiracy. And it's not right. But here's the amazing thing. God still blesses them. God still uses them. God still works with them. Amen? Now don't all leave at the church at once. I'm not so pastor. It looks like you're just condoning sin here. No, 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 no. I didn't write this stuff. By the way, this would make great soap opera material on any Hollywood daily soap opera. I'm not kidding you. Because you've got conspiracy for murder. After the birthright is stolen, guess what? Esau is going after his brother to kill him. And by the way, isn't it amazing? Rebecca doesn't even stop it. Rebecca just kind of plays dumb and quiet as she helps Jacob escape. She participates in the dividing of the home. Now you may say, well, Pastor Ray, why are you going through all the trouble to talk about all this dirty laundry in the Old Testament? So there will be hope for you and me. Because all of us today, we come to New Life Fellowship and we hear the message. And you know what we think? We think all the message that's preaching and all those patriarchs, all those people in the Bible, they have halos on their head and they were so perfect. God chose them and they are the patriarch idols. They are the icons of the Bible that God chose. Well, newsflash, 
They were broken, dysfunctional people that God chose to use so that down through the centuries when you would be born and you would come to a church and sit in the church and you were broken, you were full of sin and you were caring about the condemnation and shame, when you would read your Bible and you would say, whoa, wow, God used that coward Abraham, used that manipulator Rebecca, used that schemer Jacob, used that coward uh, uh, uh in the family of, uh, of uh, Jacob's sons who, who had their youngest brother thrown, sold into Egypt because of jealousy and envy, and you wonder, is there any hope for me? <laughs> I'm here to announce there's hope for you. Praise God. Amen. And if any of us are sitting out there and saying, well... Oh, thank God I haven't deceived my husband like that and tricked him with a meal and sold my brother, my brother off and sent him off to Uncle Laban. But what you have here is in this situation like this, Jacob is now a fugitive. He's on the run. His mother says to him, Get out of town. Your brother will kill you. You know what I would have said if I was been, would have been Jacob? Mom, it's your fault. You got me on this thing. You're the one who's hot about the birthright. Now you got me going. My brother hates me. Thank you, Mom. Well, Jacob's on the run. He's got the blessing. Esau hates his guts. There's division in the home. Jacob's running on, and it's here at this passage in with this, I'm going to have to end because my time is gone. We'll have to finish this next exciting episode next week. Praise God. But in, J in, in Genesis 28, this is what happens. Now, you know what? You know what? I, well, before I read this, I, I, I'm, I'm astonished at what God does here. Here's a guy who's a deceiver, a trickster, a liar, who connives, who con conspires with mama to steal a birthright, and he's on the run. He's a fugitive. How many of you would like this guy to burn in hell? No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, I don't know about you, but, you know, I don't know about you, but there's something in me that I don't like people who do bad things to bad people. I don't like them to get away with it. Is there anybody out there like that? Or maybe I'm the only religious clown in here that... I, I just don't like that. But that's what he is. He's a deceiver. Even though his brother, now keep in mind, somebody might say, well, hey, his mama had a right to be angry and she was justified in her conspiracy to trick her husband and lie and deceive and trick him to do all this thing because he went and he joined the Edomites and he was an immoral man. And Esau was. Esau was very immoral. Esau went and he intermarried with the pagan women of the Edomites. And that's, that's one of the reasons why she had a problem. She did not want the birthright to go to a son who was breaking their hearts. Esau had broken the heart. The oldest brother had broken the heart of mom and dad. He went out and instead of staying married with the clan uh, of the tribes and the clan that he was supposed to stay married to, he went out and he began to intermarry with pagan women which brought shame and reproach to Jacob 
to Isaac and his mother Esau, or Isaac and Rebekah. I'm sorry, got my names mixed up here. But now he's a fugitive. He's on the run, and it's here in this passage, verse 10, Genesis 28:10, and I'm going to close this down here in a minute. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran, and he came to a certain place, stayed there all night because the sun had set, and he took one of the stones of the place and put it at his head and laid down at the place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up from earth and to the top reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac, and the the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Stop right there. Notice what God is saying to this man. God talks about blessing him. God talks about giving him things. Here's a liar. Here's a deceiver. Here's a trickster. And God says, I'm going to give you a land to you and your descendants. And the Lord stood above it. Now God's beginning to open his eyes to this vision. The Lord's standing above this ladder and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants, and also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and in you, everyone say in you. I want you to hear this. In you and in your seed, all the families, everyone say all. All the families of the earth will be what? Everyone say blessed. Now turn to your neighbor and say there's hope for you. Praise God. (laughs) And there's hope for me. There's hope for me. What in the world would God say, I'm going to bless all the families in the earth through you? How many of you would call that grace? Would you call that mercy? God says, here's a guy who just got out of town, just ripped his brother off, connived, sneaked, conspired, ripped him off, and God says, now this is what I would have said if Pastor Ray was God. You know what, Jacob? What goes around comes around. What you are sowing, buddy, you are going to reap. And I can't wait until I kind of blow a few hurricanes and some tornadoes and throw them your way. Because what you did was nasty. That's what Ray Galligan would have said. Aren't you glad Pastor Ray ain't God? Don't shout me down. But that's exactly, God comes and he says, Abraham, Jacob, Jacob, he says this, I'm going to give you a land, I'm going to bless your descendants, and through you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Everyone say all. I want you to get this. Purpose starts not 
with how I do and how, what I've done and where I've come from. Purpose starts with God's plan of grace that's working in my life. That's how purpose starts. And so he goes on here to say, notice this. Verse 15, listen to this. Listen to this one. Behold, I am with you. Now God says, not only am I going to bless you, my presence is going to go with you. And will keep you wherever. Everyone say wherever. Wherever you go and will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. I want you to notice what God didn't say. He didn't say, and I will not leave you if you don't leave me. He didn't say, and I will not leave you and all the plans that I have for you will never change as long as you keep your nose clean. God didn't say that. God says, I am not going to leave you and everything I promised will, will come to pass until when, when I say it's done. God says, I'm, I, in other words, what God is saying is that your character is not dependent on whether my blessing is coming. It's dependent on when I say, when I say it's coming back, when I say. In other words, here's what God is saying, is that his grace and his mercy is strong enough to change my character. That's what God is saying. And he says this, Behold, I am with you. I will not leave you until I have done all that I have spoken to you. And then I love what it says here in verse 16. Then Jacob woke up from the sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. How many of you have ever been in a place where God spoke to you and you didn't even know it was going to hit you? And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. Notice what God's doing. God is revealing His glory to this deceiver, this liar, this conspirator. And God reveals Himself and makes promises to him. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he'd put under his head, set it up as a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. He called the name of the place Bethel. It's the first place that means the house of God. But the name of that city was Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow. Listen to this. I think it's interesting, and I think it's kind of humorous what he does. After God gives him these big promises, Jacob comes back and he says, Hey, God, I'll tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. Since you're making all this, man, I'll tell you what. If you're good to me, I'll be good to you. By the way, aren't you glad that God doesn't make deals with us? Uh, Jacob, now I, I do want to say this Jacob was making a deal with God because that's the way he worked he was always trying to make deals because he was a dealer he was a guy that likes to make deals hey you scratch my back I'll scratch yours but how many of you know that's not the way God works but God did not look at that and did not judge him or keep his promises from that God just let him go because guess what for the next 21 years, Jacob is going to go on a path where God is going to begin to deal with him. But here's what I want to leave with you this morning, is that in spite of our issues and in spite of where we've come from, we have a God 
who comes to us with promises of blessing and promises of even transformation because he doesn't quit. He doesn't give up on us. Can you say amen? Are you hearing what we're talking about this morning? God can take some pretty miserable backgrounds, some pretty miserable testimony. I'm not in any way suggesting, please don't leave here and say, well, Pastor Ray's just kind of wiping sin under the carpet and saying it's okay. No, it's not. We need to finish the rest of the story. Because what's so beautiful about this story is that God's grace is greater than sin. And when Jacob comes through the whole thing, this man is a transformed man. And what, what's so important that we need to realize in Philippians 1.6, it says this, and I love it because this is what Paul read to the Philippians. He says, He who hath begun a good work will be faithful to complete it. You know what? We should never write people off because we have seen what they do. We know what they are. We've seen what they... We tend to write people off, but thank God He doesn't write us off because He knows the end from the beginning. He's the Alpha and Omega. And what's so powerful here is here's a young man who comes out of a dysfunctional, broken, scary family. And yet God was so faithful to watch over his word to perform it and to bring this man out on the other side, not only blessed and prospering, but transformed. And that's what God's going to do. He's going to transform our lives. Amen? This is a year of transformation. Everyone say transformation. He will not leave you the way you are because he loves you too much. Let me say that again. He's not going to leave you the way you are because he loves you too much. And he's not going to come and scold you. He's not going to come and beat you down. He's not going to write you off. He is going to fulfill his promises. And the, and the most powerful thing even beyond that is he's going to use you and bless all the families of the earth because of you. Isn't that amazing? God's going to turn to your neighbor right now saying, the earth is going to be blessed because of you. That's right. God's going to bless others because of you. And here's the beautiful thing about why that blessing works. The blessing doesn't work because of what we've done. It's not how we worked hard. It wasn't through self-effort. It's because God never gave up. It's because His grace was sufficient. And even at our lowest point, even at our lowest point is when His grace is poured out in its greatest place in our life. Let's bow our heads, shall we? I know I really went over today but I felt the Holy Spirit saying, God is doing a deep work. He's doing a good thing in our life. And he is committed to following through with what he's promised. Amen? Maybe this morning you may say, you know, Pastor Ray, I need a vision like Jacob had. I need to have the kind of vision in my life where I see the Lord opening my eyes to his grace because I've come through a lot of stuff Maybe some of us have come through things that we're ashamed of. I'm so grateful God opened the whole book about the lives of these families because it really gives hope for me. It gives hope to me that God can still work. But as long as I'm responding, my eyes are on Him, and I don't want to throw in the towel. I need to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. Maybe this morning you may say, Pastor, I have become weary in well-doing. And I just need the grace poured in my life. You just raise your hand. I want to pray with you this morning. Anyone? Okay, I see your hands. Anyone else? Need his grace. Amen. Let's stand to our feet, shall we, this morning?
let's stand to our feet. <clears throat> you know, it's Valentine's Day today. Can I just tell you something? I believe that all of you are His Valentine. You are so special to Him. And you know, where sin abounds, His grace does much more abound. Let's don't write each other off. I don't want you to write yourself off. In fact, this morning as we were in prayer, the Lord impressed on me there are some people today that have given up on their dreams and they've given up on themselves. I want to hear tell you, remind you right now that God's God is so faithful. I love what Kathy said in her word, prophetic word this morning was so powerful. The word in Jeremiah 29, 11, where God said, my plans that I have for you are plans of hope and to give you a future and a peace. He was speaking to people that were in bondage who literally had lost their way and had forgotten and forgotten that God still had a covenant with them. See, God, man may break his covenant, but God never breaks his covenant with you. And he reminded them that even though you're in this place where you're in Babylon, you're not in your home, you're not where you, where you should be, God says, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to restore hope. I'm going to restore your future. I'm going to restore life to you and blessing to you. I want you to take your neighbor by the hand, can you? Carol, can you come up here? I want my wife with me here. Here's my Valentine, folks. I, I want, as I pray, I want you to pray with your neighbor. Father, we thank you today. Lord, we're so grateful that you've given us divine purpose. And Lord, even though we come out of fragmented, dysfunctional past, and Lord, some of us today, we can't even lift our head up because shame has been so much a part of our life. But yet, Lord, you come to restore you come to restore dreams. You come to restore a fresh vision. You come, Lord, to remind us that it's not about us or where we come from or even what we've done, but it's your grace and it's your grace working in us. Lord, because it's all about you and it's about what you're doing in us to transform our lives into the image of Jesus. Lord, you're going to take the crooked places and make them straight. You're going to take the valleys and lift them up, Lord, as high as mountains. Lord, you said you'd make a way in the rivers, right, way, way in the wilderness, and even the crooked places and the stony places. Lord, you would make a path in the wilderness, in the desert. Father, I pray today that our hearts and our minds would be reminded of how good you are. And if you've begun something good, you're faithful to bring us through to the end. Lord, be with us. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Turn to someone, give them a hug this morning.